Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. You want to talk about levels for play? Well, I'm from the Mile High City, so the higher the better, right? Right. Uh, I don't think it works that right? way. Yeah, it totally works that way. <laughs> and welcome to another Pandas Talking Games. I am one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Zenda. So tonight's topic comes to us from Carl, who emailed us asking about level of play for a one-shot or campaign, say start at level X and go for a couple of levels. In other words, how does power level and advancement affect one-shots and campaigns? Do-do-do! Uh, So this topic actually touches on a number of other episodes that we've done, including leveling up during games and high and low level games, and probably some more that we didn't even think of. (laughs) So tonight, we're going to take a look at this particular question in terms of selecting a starting level and determining advancement rates for one-shots and campaigns. But before we do that, as usual, we need to dig in a little and define a few terms. So, Lord Panda, Lord Definition Panda, what do you have for us? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. Let's get into a couple of definitions. Uh, starting with power level. Power level is the relative power of the character in terms of stats, abilities, powers, and equipment. Uh, and the easiest model for us to understand how this works is D&D. Right. So, while it differs between versions, basically an increase in levels in D&D is always going to involve stuff like your hit points going up, your attack bonus might go up, your saving throw bonuses probably go up, you get some more skill points, you might get a class ability, you know, you get a feat every X number of levels, etc., etc., etc. So at low levels, characters are relatively weak, and as they increase in level, they become increasingly more powerful. And other games have different versions of this. Right, so Dungeon World still uses levels, even though the mechanic that gets them is different, right? H2O has advancements that get unlocked with your experience. That's pretty, co- that's pretty common for other PBTA right, games. Powered by the Apocalypse. Fate characters get more refresh, right? So mm-hmm. that they actually start with more fate points to play with. Yay! Yeah. All right, so advancement then. Advancement is the mechanism of how one increases in power level. And the most common system for this is the point system. So points, usually experience points, but sometimes game designers get crafty and name them other things. But points are earned for different activities. Uh, And then the points indicate when you advance. And so you usually then like reach a threshold which triggers an advancement. Right, which is the very standard what we think of when we think of D&D and experience points. You hit the threshold, you get, um, you know, your previous amount of XP plus 1,000 or whatever. I can't remember. Um, and, and then, da-da-da, you level up. Ta-da! Or mm-hmm. in Powered by the Apocalypse, you have, you know, X number of checkboxes from rolling ones or whatever the particular mechanic is. Oh, you get an advancement. Yay! Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some games actually have you uh, spend your experience points when you're advancing. Right. So that would be something like Numenera, where you actually are basically saving up for what you want to get, and then you spend them to get the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, in fact, you actually go up a tier when you have spent, like, when you have bought, like, one of each kind of thing. 
Oh. Um, but the real the the challenge in the game is that you can use your XP to re-roll. Yeah. So, so at a time when you fail a roll, you need, yeah, you <laughs> need to decide like, do I really need to re-roll this, or I'm saving for advances? Like, do I want to advance instead? Right. Yeah. yeah. Tricky, 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 tricky. Uh, other games trigger advancements uh, at certain parts of the story. So Fate has the milestone system. Right, so you gain different things at different milestones, and the milestones themselves are actually determined by the flow of the story. Yeah, there's not a thing that says, like, this is the milestone adventure. Like, it tells you, like, you'll know, like, you know, you'll know roughly when to use the, you know, major milestone, the, you know, those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. So advancement and power level are obviously tied together. Um, Power level determines the overall power of the character themselves and their ability to deal with various challenges. And while games have a starting point and sometimes an end point for power levels, we're free to start anywhere along that spectrum that we want. Yeah, I mean, designers intend for you to start at the beginning, but we don't have to. Right, like we can start a D and D game at third level if we wanted to, or we can give our dungeon world characters an extra move at the start of the game. Sure, and then advancement is a function of how fast characters ascend through the power levels for this particular game. So, while games have a prescribed method for how it occurs, we're also free to kind of mess with this too if we need to. Yeah, I mean, we can totally change a point system into a into a plot based system. Which, like we which, can just yeah. do that. I've totally done with D and D because I much prefer it to trying to crunch all those numbers. I know you're all shocked numerous and surprised times. to hear that. Yeah, done what? it numerous times for D and D as well. Yeah, Senda doesn't want to do math. What? What? What now? So anyway, all of that brings us back to Carl's question, which is how does power level and advancement affect one shots and campaigns? Or at least that's our translation of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And when we reach a point where we are talking about the differences between one-shots and campaigns, we need to go to the library in stately waveform manner, slide down some bamboo poles, and go to the panda cave. So I'm going to talk about this, obviously, from the one-shot side, because I do. And I'll address this from the campaign side. Ready? Break. All right, so in one-shots, we have a limited time frame, like we always, always talk about, and we have a single story of play. So our focus is much more on power level in these stories than it is about advancement. Right. So if you if, if you do want to entertain the idea of advancement during a one-shot, go back and listen to episode 37, where we're talking about leveling up mid-game, um, if you want our thoughts and feelings about that. Right. And some good ideas about how to do it and how not to do it. Um But in a one-shot, we are, as we always say, trying to capture the most important moment of that character's lives, or the most interesting moment, right? So the power level of the game needs to be the one that makes that moment as exciting as possible. Um, The game that you're running is going to have a lot to do with what that means, right? Which power level is the most exciting for that particular game. So for this particular segment... Um, Let's abstract a little bit and just talk about the pros and cons of playing low-level, mid-level, and high-power-level games. Um, So if we're saying low-power-level games, um, that means you're playing at at the beginning or the start part of the power curve for this particular game. Right, so this would be like D&D levels one through four. Right. Um, When you are, you have less resources and you're more squishy, um, you just, there are less things that you can do. 
um, because you just have fewer options written down on your character sheet. Yay. Um, so the adventures tend to little, be a little bit simpler because you just don't have as many things you could do. There's not as many ways you could solve the problems, right? So there are some pros to that. Yeah, so these games are easier to run for new players or players that are new to role-playing because, again, like you said, there's just not as many options, so it's easier for a new player to manage. Right. And because you uh, have less options and less powers, these games tend to move faster. So they move through combat quickly, and they tend not to bog down. Right. The cons are that you have to be much more careful about the overall balance of the game since your characters are squishier and more likely to die, say, if someone pushes them down the stairs and they stub their toe and it does, you know, all of their damage and hit points. You know, this kind of thing can happen. I'm not saying it's happened to my table, except that it's totally happened to my table. I wasn't jamming. Anyway, um, so that's a con. Um, you might die by stubbing your toe. And you may not be able to use some of the more iconic opposition or monsters, like you can't necessarily toss a red dragon in on your level one characters or a beholder or something like that, right? Some of the things that we really associate with D&D that people get really excited about. Yeah, you can't, you can't throw them in as something they're truly going to fight unless you really are just trying to kill them all. So then if we jump into mid-power level games, in these games you're playing somewhat to the middle of the power curve for the particular game, right? Yeah, so this would be like levels 5 through 10 in D&D. Right, which are my favorites. So now you have more options and resources at your disposal. Right, but nothing's too powerful. Yeah. And you don't have an infinite number of them. Right, but you you have just enough to feel really cool. So these adventures can be a little more robust and you have more options to use in your game and you get to do things like you might be able to customize your character more into a specific direction or something because you've gotten to get some of the cooler powers. So what are some of the pros of playing in mid-levels? Yeah, well, uh, with the players having more abilities and options, you can increase the variety of challenges you toss at them because now they have... Uh, a host of magic spells, they have some magic items, like, they're able to get out of more complex problems, right? If we're talking about a fantasy game, if we're talking about a sci-fi yeah. game, maybe they have, you know, more cybernetics, whatever. Okay. Right. Um, and then those increased options also give the players more enjoyment enjoyment because they can do more cool things, right? Like, that's what players like in games, right? Players like to do cool things, and um, these mid-level characters can do them. Right. And they still feel fresh and new because it's like mid-level and you're like, I'm so excited that my rapier does a critical hit from like 16 to 20. I just got fireball. Right. right? Like that's like that's a that's a graduating moment for a wizard. Right. It really is. I just got fireball. It's the moment that you graduate from occasionally useful, but like mostly has to be protected to like, okay, you stand there and just bomb everything. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Instead of magic missile, magic missile, magic missile, magic missile. (laughs) Anyway, there are some cons for playing at mid-level as well, which is you're getting a little bit more complex with your characters, which does tend to make the game a little bit less accessible for new players. Because especially if we're talking about something that is a big, thick book, right, that requires some reading and has some pretty intense and detailed rules. So if we're talking about most versions of Dungeons and Dragons... Pathfinder. Hint, hint, if you use software, 
uh-huh. to build your character. Yeah, this then your that, game may be on the complex side. It's on the yeah, it's this ones right, these ones. So it can make it less accessible for new players, or it just means that you're going to be stopping to explain things more often, right? And the more complex the opposition is, the slower the combats and that sort of scene will become because the more rolling you're doing and the more like, wait, what about this skill and how will it work with this other thing? And like when people start layering those more complicated things together, it can slow things down. Plus everyone has more hit points. Right. So it just takes longer because they're harder to kill. They're not as squishy. Exactly. Magic missile. Magic missile. Magic missile. (laughs) Um, and then you have the high power level games. So in these games, you're looking at the upper part of the power curve. Yeah. So these are like uh, levels 10 plus in D&D. Yeah. Which I only played once in my life. So when you are at those levels, you now actually have the most options and resources at your disposal that you can have. Yeah. You're going to have, you're going to have access to some serious upper level powers, right? Like you're going to be able to find something for almost every problem, right? Like, this is where, like, scry and teleport and all of these things, like, start to come into play. Like, this is where, you know, when you are presented a challenge, like, you know, everybody breaks out their spell lists and magic items and are like, okay, I got a thing that can do this. I got a thing that can do this. That kind of thing. And it takes a while. So in these adventures, you can go all out with your choices of opposition and challenges, like... If you really want that, like, pivotal game, break out the Red Dragon. Heck, get that book by that fantastic publishing company, Encoded Designs, the Book of the Tarrasque. That's an iconic D&D monster you could take on with epic level characters, right? Um, really about the most iconic the D&D most, monster. Well, I don't know if it's more iconic than a red dragon, really. It's the most badass. Like, it it'll is, eat a red dragon for lunch. I mean, it will. It really, truly will. That's why it's yeah. amazing. Anyway. Okay, anyway. Anyway. Well, so there are some pros for playing at high levels. Tell me about them. Uh, yeah, so, like, first of all, players love wielding great power, right? Like, uh-huh. they're going to have a blast using all these powers. And in fact, my one GM tip to you is, if you are running high-level games, is at some point early in the game, do something very similar to the rogues phase in Swords Without Master. And that is, give them a completely underpowered opponent in large numbers. Like, have them attacked by a, like a hundred orcs. And then just let them just mow them down with all their powers, right? Like, let them so cast epic. meteor swarm and fireballs and lightning bolts and have like, you know, the warriors cleaving through one, you know, like hordes of creatures all at once kind of thing. And anyway, um, set them loose like that because they will love it. Like, that's my GM tip. Like, if you're running these high-level games, do this once. Even do it as the opening, right? Do an in-media res opening where you're slaughtering 100 orcs. Your players will drool. They will love it so much. Anyway. Yeah, they just um, use all their cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The other pro is that... um, as we said before, you can now toss the most iconic adversaries at them, right? Yeah. Like a death knight riding a beholder, right? Like right, sure. You can, a nightshade. You can totally N- uh, not nightshade, uh, nightwalker. That's a good one. Yeah, you totally can do the Like, you've got them, like, they're, they're equipped, so go ahead and do it. Yep, yeah. There are some cons, um, and that's, 
you know, these games are not really for new players and they require with players with some experience of, with the system to play. Because at this point, you are talking about so many items, so many spells, all of this stuff. It's going to be really, really slow and difficult to, to get someone new on board and to basically be explaining all of those things that you're going because they will not understand all of their options, right? So system mastery is a huge part of how smoothly you can play at high levels like this in a complex game. Um, and then the other thing is that combat is either going to be really long and drawn out. So, you know, the Book of the Tarrasque, if you run a Kill the Tarrasque adventure, that's something that John runs for four-hour games, right? That's all they do. They just kill the Tarrasque. Um, or your combat could be brutally fast, depending on the system. So if you are talking about, like, Savage Worlds, and you've gotten to upgrade some stuff, and you just you know, slam into something, like, you, you can kill stuff really fast, especially if you start exploding. Like... Mm-hmm. Oof. True that. Uh-huh. So you have to factor that into the design of your one-shot. It can get really swingy at high levels with how long combat's going to take, depending on what system you're talking about, right? So ultimately, when you're picking your power level for a one-shot, what you need to consider is, firstly, very, very firstly, like, what are you comfortable running? Yeah, like I, like I am no slouch as a GM. No, but like my D and D is really weak, so like I would not run the book of the Trask, right? Like I am not equipped to run that game because I don't under like I don't understand the mechanics of like everything that's going on. I know that the the mechanics become technical down to a level of D and D that I don't think I've ever really engaged at quite that quite that level of specific detail, right? But you have to, because Tarask. So you also need to think about what kind of players you want to limit your session to, or if you don't want to limit it, right? You have to take into consideration what's going to work better. Yeah, so remember, your low-level games are more accessible to strangers, and your high-level games are actually for your more experienced players. So uh, if you, you know, if you want to run something for new players, keep it on the low side. Right. And then you also need to think about what kind of story you want to tell. Yeah, because you, if you want to tell the tale of like the beholder that is, you know, holding a whole bunch of people prisoner and you want to do it for new players and you want to do it with like first level characters, like yeah. none of these things match up right. Like Not you can do it, right. like there are ways, but, but truthfully, you need to really kind of think about how important is the beholder part of your story? Because could your beholder be an ogre, right? Because right. if it's an ogre, like that's like, more accessible okay. for third level characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. So, yeah, so you want to like line them up. Like don't do a thing where it's like, well, I want to play, like I want to run this like, you know, thing with a beholder and I want to do it with high level characters, but I want to do it for new people. Like, you're yeah. going to be making a lot of work for yourself. So anyway, yes. line them up correctly. Line them up. Yep. Anyway, now that we have had a look at power levels in our one-shots, Phil, how much of this applies to campaigns? Uh, yeah, actually quite a bit. Uh, so, shocking. Uh, <laughs> shocking. So in, campaign, in campaigns, we have multiple sessions. So we now have to consider both power level and advancement as we set up our campaign. Now, with power level, it's pretty much the same. As in one shots, right? So low, 
medium and high power levels. Um, that's what we're always considering at the start of the campaign, right? So whereas in a one shot, that's the whole one shot in a campaign, it's where we what what power level are we starting at? Right. And when we talk about those those power levels, we're talking about them with the same attributes as when we talked about them for one shots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really what we're going to focus on in this segment is advancement. And advancement is, again, the rate at which we move through the power curve of the game. And we can put these into some arbitrary groups like we did for the power levels. So we can go with uh, slow and n- slow or none, uh, normal, and fast. And so, like, let's first look at slow or none. Right. So with slow to none, your characters are not advancing much, if at all, along that power curve. And that usually requires some kind of house ruling in the game to kind of prevent the normal advancement mechanic from kicking in. Yeah, and uh, this means that your characters are pretty much the same power level, either for long periods of time or for the whole campaign. Right. Uh, so then, like, then we have the normal speed. Right, so this is the, the speed that the designers actually wrote into the game. And some games will pretty much tell you roughly how fast that is. So, like, for example, a level every 10 encounters would be, like, yeah. an expectation that they had when they wrote it. Yeah, and so the the thing when we say normal is that it's normal relative to the game. So you'll have to figure out from the game roughly how fast you advance. But in the normal speed, characters move along the power curve at the designer's intended speed. Yes. Uh, and then finally, we have fast. Yeah. So fast is an accelerated speed of advancement. And again, this is often going to be a house rule thing because you're actually going faster than the intended speed of the game. Yeah, and these are going to these are things that are going to move characters quickly along the power curve. And you're going to, you know, you're going to go through you're going to go through you're going to go through levels quickly and you're going to have more and more new powers like each time you advance. Right. So, now that we have two variables, initial power level and advancement speed, we can make a matrix of combinations which uh ultimately would have at the low end power low power level and slow advancement and at the high end we would have high power with fast advancement and that matrix gives us the ability to kind of tune the overall power of the campaign now we can't look at every combination and to be honest some of the combinations don't actually make sense so um we're going to just pick a few of the better combinations right so the first one i want to look at is uh low initial power level fast advancement. So here we're starting the game at that lower level, but we're going to advance quickly. And this gets the players out of the low levels fast and just kind of keeps racing through uh, level after level after level. Right. So this works really well in a campaign where you want to actually have the full experience of like the whole game, but you don't want it to take you five years to do. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. The mid normal combination so mid-level power normal advancement uh here we're gonna get that we're gonna start at that sweet mid-level right where we've got some good options available and then we're just gonna advance as normal right we're basically mid-normal is basically we're just not gonna play low level right Right. we're just skipping that part right which works really well when your players are familiar with because they've done them before or bored with low level play in the system the one that I know I've done it for a ton is D&D. Like, I started at level one the first time I played D&D, and I never started at level one again. 
Yeah, right? I mean, I've done the same. I've done the exact same thing, right? So I've, I've, um, with my old home group, we when we would play D anD D. Each edition, we would always, the first time we played it, we would play from level one and go up. And then the next time we played that edition, it was always three or five. Yeah, three or five are the numbers. Three or five. Yeah. Yeah. Always three three was basically, three was basically, we're we're still going to be low level. I just don't want you to die at like every, you know, like in every opportunity. And five is, we're just not even doing low level. You guys are competent adventurers. Right. I have occasionally started at seven. That was, I've Ooh, done three, five, and little seven. Aggressive. Sure. Yeah, no, seven was much more the like, I, I want to almost be starting to hit the high end, but not quite all the way there yet, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the last one that I want to talk about is, is high initial level, slow advancement. So here, we're going to start the game in the upper tier, but we're going to slow down advancement. Uh, And the idea is that we're going to give characters a lot of initial power, but we're going to just then stay static during the course of the campaign, right? Right. So this works well when you want to kind of focus on a campaign that happens at a scale that works best for high-level power play, but you don't want to blow out the power curve um, and, like, have to retire the characters or, like, hit the, the, you know, level 50 or whatever it is. Then you can you can kind of keep the game going, but you can tell the kind of epic, you know, broad, very world involved um, story that usually happens with high level characters. Yeah, and, and also remember that at high level, those in, like the difference between tenth level and nineteenth level is oh. pretty in D anD D is pretty yes. staggering. Um, at least back in the three five days, right? Like yes. the Pathfinder three five days, the yes. difference between tenth level and nineteenth is far greater than the difference between fifth level and tenth level. Oh, extremely so, yes. Yeah. Right. So this and, is so this combo works really well in saying like, okay, you're all going to be thirteenth level, and we're going to advance by plot. Right. And I'm going to keep it real slow. Right. Real slow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. Now we talked about those two combinations in that three by three matrix, but actually we can get more complex than this. We're not actually committed to using one speed for the whole campaign. Right, like, so you could do something like um, start with low fast, like do low levels and advance them real fast until level five, and then switch over to normal, which still gets you the experience of the low levels, but without getting stuck there for long periods of time, right? And then you slow down right at the mid-range to, like, savor that really sweet spot between, like, five and ten, where everything feels really cool and you're just starting to get involved on the world stage kind of stuff. Things start feeling bigger, um, and you can just hang out in that spot for a normal amount of time. Yeah, and when we start to savor play, oh. it must be time to speed up the advancement of the segment and reach the end of the show. Oh, yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> but before we do, Senda, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Yeah. In Down with D&D, Chris and the Mad Wizard Sean Merwin dish about everything D&D with a focus on the brand and newest edition of the world's most popular tabletop RPG. So, Senda, where can people reach us on the internet? 
Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pandas Talk Games. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark Google Plus community, or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? Much like Carl did this evening, you can send us show topics. Ask us questions about campaigns and one-shots. Ask us questions about role-playing. Ask us ditch lily questions. We'll answer those, too. Um, we love talking about the things that you mm-hmm. find interesting. Um, one, it's way more interesting if we, talk about the, if we talk about you than to talk about us. And number two, we're kind of lazy, and coming up with ideas is really hard. So uh, it works way better when you just give them to us. Yeah, because so, we're pandas. Give us ideas so we can nom on them and then fall off of things. Yeah, like we're really good at falling off of things. <laughs> Less good at coming up with our own topics. Um, right, we just besides, want to eat the topics. That's right. Besides the topics, what else can people do with our social media information? Well, you can send us your table selfies. So the next time you are sitting down with an awesome table of awesome peeps to play your awesome games, hashtag it table selfie. Post it on the social media of your choice. I mean, the picture. Did I miss the tip of the bar where you take the picture tonight? I don't know. Guys, you I've said selfie. You said so selfie. People should know. Right. It's you should all know by now. Selfie people. 2018. Selfies are a thing. Anyway, and in this particular instance, we would love to know if you are jiggering with the power level or advancement of your particular game at all. Mm-hmm. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, you can check out and support our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get all sorts of cool things like the show notes, the bonus outtakes from this show, the Mm -hmm. Misdirected Mark after show, Mm -hmm. uh, various goodies that we occasionally randomly drop to our patrons, uh, and things like that. We also like to do a shout out to our patrons because we love them so much. And you did hard tonight, hands, you guys. <laughs> Just so you know, I did hard hands. You did do hard we love hands. them. Starting I know, but they with can't Eileen. See you. <laughs> well, starting with Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Like that's a pretty important one. It's really important. I the Duchess is very important. The Duchess heart, heart, heart hands for the Duchess. Thanks, Eileen. <laughs> yep. Uh, Todd Crapper, who uh, is an amazing graphic artist, game designer, and just all-around cool Canadian dude. Yeah, he uh, is. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Todd. Now I feel bad because um, the last one, uh, which we're also thankful for, is Steve Bissonette. But I don't think I know Steve well enough to say something really cool about other than you're a patron, so you must be really cool. Um, right. He's got a although, very cool last name. It's uh, got yeah, lots, I, of, lots of double letters in it in a fun French way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I noticed the same thing. Like, there's lots of double letters. Like, it's cool. They're, like, right. there's, they're perfectly spaced. It's like one letter and then two letters and then one letter, two letter, one letter, two letter, one letter. Oh, it's, it's very really satisfying. good. It's mathematically pleasing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Thank you, very Steve, good. for having such a mathematically pleasing <laughs> name. Oh, it's really good. Thank you. It's soothing. Uh, say, Senda, what is something that people can do if they are already or are unable, which is perfectly fine, to support the Patreon campaign? Well, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Every new review really actually does help new people find the show. And it makes us warm and fuzzy on the inside like pandas. Like pandas eating bamboo. Like those pandas that you see when they give them like birthday cakes and they're like super happy and they stuff them in their mouths and like fall over. 
that's us when we get a new review. Just imagine it. Uh, yeah, so we really, really appreciate them. Thank you guys so much to everyone who's already left us a review. Say, Senda, show me how you're going to pick the power level for your next one shot. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Three, two, one. Let's jam. There you go. <laughs> I said it, but like no sound came out of me. So anyway, we should first say um, that um, right. this is like the night of a thousand noises because um, right. you have thunder somewhere. Yep, I have thunder. It seems to have mostly passed, but if you hear thunder it was, or rain or hail or anything like that, it was really thundering a lot. It was pretty loud when we first like kind of got on to go over notes and stuff. Uh, I myself yep. have various basement noises. Yeah, it just thundered here again, but it is moving away pretty quickly, and I don't even, I can't tell if my mic picked it up. I'll know when I listen back, I guess. Yeah, and I can't be sure that you won't hear the uh, air conditioner engage, because it does make a little bit of noise when it kicks off and kicks on. But anyway, it's like the night of a thousand noises. So exciting, exciting stuff. But we did get rain, yeah. and that Isn't was... is there a song like that? Night of a thousand noises? The... I mean... No. I, I think the Ditch Lilies, I think Lily wrote one after like her first <laughs> date with, with Megan. Wow. Bloop. Oh, for some reason my in my head I was thinking of the song Wild Horses. Uh, doesn't have a number in it though. I don't know why there was a thousand. No, but I like I but horses. I but I love I love Night of a Thousand Noises. That's um uh what's it called? It's a very interesting it's a very interesting piece it's a good one it's definitely in their experimental phase uh, right yep. yep there's a lot of like um sort of chanted and then like there are there are bits where they're just like spoken word and then like, like chains with rattling at some point and, and yeah. yeah yeah just discussion little bits and pieces of poetry and like um, everything woven in, and then there's like the song parts you can clearly tell it's one of those times where um where Lily was writing. Um, while in love, right? Like while falling in love, because there are songs. So right, because right, like the best Ditch Lily songs are like the songs where Lily has fallen in love, or Lily is falling out of love, right? Like, right, yeah, those are the good ones. Yeah, the really like the Lily's best work is revolves around her relationships, which is what makes it so um, tremendously difficult to be in that band, right? Like at some point you're gonna fall in love with her and at some point she's going to break your heart and maybe more than yeah. once Bloop. right yeah that's lily that's lily that's our lily she's hot mm. she's <laughs> hot. yeah well i i get that i mean i think she's hot too but i'm like totally not i'm totally not her type Bloop. not a thousand noises i don't know yeah it feels like it's a song no, i'm telling you right like i mean it's the Ditch Lilies song. Am I singing the Ditch Lilies song? Is that what keeps coming into my I head? Because so. for some reason, like the Wild Horses chorus also yeah. keeps merging with it. Bloop. 
Yeah, I mean, Arena Rock, for you, this is like the age of, like in the 70s, this is like uh-huh. the big concert, yeah. um, the big concert bands. And so things like Queen and Boston and Fleetwood Mac and, um, I, I mean, it basically those, just... I know some of those names. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's like a Guardian soundtrack, right? It's just like all songs you, oh. songs you haven't heard, but you would swear were on a Guardian soundtrack. Like, right. It's really funny that you mentioned that because I tried to have a waveform song for tonight, but I didn't quite like get it all the way together. I was going to do Cherry Bomb. Oh, nice. Nice. I love that song. Bloop. All right. Enough of that nonsense. Yep, 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 um, yep, yep, we're yep, at yep. nine minutes. We should yep, go make yep, a show. Yep, 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 yep. No, I don't even think you we wanna... said anything funny. Uh, we did ditch lilies. People got something out of it. <laughs> Night of a thousand noises. <laughs> the night that was a thousand fun. noises. Yeah, like that. Bloop. Yeah, I feel like if I remember <laughs> if I remember the bootleg video correctly. Yeah. Like she she's singing that, but like there's like a um, it's like a loft, and there's like a skylight with rain. Like yeah, running on it. Yeah, it's like all sepia. Yeah. It's like all sepia tones and stuff like that. Right. And then and then and then like it keeps panning past like the silhouettes on the wall of like projected people doing things that look sexual without ever showing the actual people. Yeah, there's just and there's like, you know, in the foreground, like as the panning shots, like you can see like some clothes are like heaped on the ground. Yep. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, it was still like the early nineties. Like not every like not everybody was totally cool with people being out, out, like, in yeah. videos and stuff like that. Yep. So yep. the girls took a, you know, I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why ultimately um, you could only get that video uh, as a file on Napster. Like, I know there was, even... there was a, a couple of scandalous moments where you got, like, just the close-up of, like, hand or, like, fingernails running over flesh. And you couldn't even tell, like, what part or where or anything, but it was just, like, fingers Right. Like most people, Body. most people pretty sure that was, that was Lily's back. Like right. that's. That the, the, anyway. it is speculated. Right. Yes. Yeah, speculated, never confirmed. Correct. Right. Cause she has that little birthmark back there. Wow. That is some, <laughs> that is some super nerd level <laughs> trivia. Well, it's like on the back, like her shoulder blade. So sometimes you can see it in their shows when she wears things. Well. Don't have sleeves it, and it, stuff, right? Yeah, well, in that famous picture at Lilith Fair where she's hugging Sarah McLaughlin, like yeah. you can see it in the right. picture. Yeah. yeah, it's like it almost, it's one of those, it's like a cute little, it almost looks kind of like a clover or something. I don't know. I'm with you. <laughs> anyway, all that just happened. <laughs> Hardcore Ditch Lily trivia tonight. Yep. All right. Hard. Let's, uh, let's. Horror. You know what? Because Hardcore. we are professional. Professional. Mine's over on the shelf. Yeah, I'm looking at mine right now. It's right over here. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Bloop. All right, you ready to knock this thing out? Meow. Meow. Oh, by the way, really quick, did you no, see Nor? This is the second did you time. See, you've did done you that. see the picture of Nor holding the baby bunny she found and oh, wanting to no. keep it? No, I didn't. She wanted to keep it, but Eric was like, "We can't. The cats will." the cats will kill it and i was like they ask will. senda about that they will i keep finding baby bunnies it's just that they're in my house and usually half eaten yes fluffy murder machine has been uh yes. paying he's been tribute busy yeah yep. he's been busy. okay now now we can get sorry when you meowed it made me think of it of <laughs> my fluffy murder machine i mean that's fair because you know what he says meow meow 
We're going to do the short one because we're going way too long already. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's late. Okay, good. On Down with D&D, Chris and the mad wizard Sean Merwin dish about everything D&D with a focus on the brand and newest edition of this world's... Of Of this world? This world's most popular tabletop RPG. Some I mean, the, their other show, their other show, they talk about other world's most I know. popular like, tabletop yeah, RPGs. Right. The one DL, DNL, Ditch and Lilies, is really popular Ditch. on Dagobah, <laughs> for example. Wow. <laughs> anyway, let me try that one more time. Bloop. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. Bloop. In Down with D&D, Chris and the Mad Wizards. <laughs> Shit. We're, you know, we're not going to make 45 minutes now because of you. I know, because of this. Okay. Bloop. Nailed it. Third time to try. <laughs> I almost lost it, but I kept it together. Bloop. I feel like there was something we were going to mention after the show, but I can't remember what it was. Do it again, Will. Men Harmony. <laughs> Ready? Three, two, mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lost it too soon. It was fun though. Okay. Bloop. Want to say goodbye? Yes. <laughs> Bye. Say goodbye. Bye. And stop.